Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 25, through to chapter 5, verse 2. It's in the New Testament section of our Red Bibles on page 186. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the grace given to us to be able to gather today to praise, worship, and listen to you. We don't want to take that for granted because there are many people around the world who cannot do that. Ephesians 4, verse 25. Putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your word may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness, and wrath, and anger, and wrangling, and slander, together with malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now and as we've been singing all morning, that you would come now and show us Jesus. You would reveal the heart and the mind and the character of Jesus to us. That God, we would, through the grace and the power of your Holy Spirit, we would shed those mindsets, those attitudes that are not reflective of Christ, that do not connote the aroma of Christ. And Lord, through these scriptures, we would be moved to put on Christ, putting on the love of Christ. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and God's people say, Amen. So, 
it is so good, as I said earlier, to be back in this space and to be with you this morning. And if this is your first Sunday with us, two things I want you to know. One is we've been reading through the book of Ephesians now for several weeks, and our aim is to work all the way through till the end of chapter 6. So that's the reason why the service today and services before that have been themed around the statements that we see in this book. The second thing I want you to know, if, in case this is your first Sunday here, I want you to see the picture of the 27 people who traveled from our church to the Holy Land to walk where Jesus walked and to connect with our mission partners throughout uh, Palestine. I'm putting that picture up because it's a large group as you can see but we're truly grateful for the prayer support that so many of you extended our way while we were on this uh, pilgrimage. And we're also grateful for the folks who stepped up and covered some of the leadership responsibilities both on the staff and within the life of the church while Henry and I were away. And uh, we're just truly grateful for that. When I came back, I had the opportunity to listen to two really good sermons that were preached in this space by Doug Bradshaw and by uh, our own Bob Hecker, who just uh, preached their hearts out. Am I right? Very, very inspiring, God-centered sermons. And so we're grateful for that. You know, John Wimber, and some of you know the name John Wimber, used to be, when he was alive, was the one who founded the Vineyard Movement. He used to say that as people, as a people of God, we need to be converted. We need three conversions, he said. And some of us maybe only know one. Hopefully we know all three. He says we need to be converted to Christ. We need to be converted to Christ's church. And we need to be converted to the cause of Christ. And I would like to suggest to you this morning that what we are going to look at here in the next few minutes encompasses all three of what Wimber is asking us to be converted to. That how we live, how we function, how we behave, really demonstrates whether we've been converted to Christ, to his church, and to his cause. But I want to warn you that the reading today is a little tricky because there is one big error that I need to avoid and you need to avoid. And when you read words like these that um, Dorcas just read for us, it gives the suggestion somehow that this is all about moralism. Moralism. And moralism is the belief that the gospel can be reduced to just improvements in behavior. This is, this is all about tweaking a few areas so that we're a little bit better over here, we're less angry, we tell a few less lies, and so on and so on and so forth. Just a few tweaks. But I want to put you on notice this morning that these words are not a dose of first century pull yourself up by the bootstraps or some notion that you and I can be better if we would only try harder and that's another mistake that we could make after reading these words, is that we hear these words and say, boy, I need, to, I need to try harder. So let's avoid those errors. So what's a correct way to read these words? 
And I would suggest that you start with verse 21. And if you have your Bibles open, which I hope you do, if you would open up that reading again and just look at verse 21, I think this is a great way to begin understanding what we're being called upon to do as the church. Verse 21, assuming that you've heard about Christ and you were taught the truth about Christ, the expectation for all of us is that we would put off our old self, which belongs to our former way of life, with all of its corrupt practices, and then put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and in holiness. And so I will confess to you that the inspiration for the title of today's talk wardrobe changes actually comes out of this language in verse 21, putting off and putting on, putting off the old self, putting on the new self. So I want you to imagine this morning that uh, it's spring cleaning in your home and maybe you've been infected by this uh, Japanese woman, Marie Kondo. She has just taken America by storm and I've been infected by her bug too and you want to declutter your home, and you want to clean out the clothes that you no longer wear for the clothes that you really want to wear. And so it's this out with the old, and it's in with the new, and and we do this all the time. I know the women in my life do it all the time, but then I heard from the deacons a few months ago that the men never part with their clothes. I mean, they're holes in the pants holes in the shoes and the man is still saying no this is still good it's my favorite shoes am i right ladies but instead of doing the wardrobe change by yourself and this is where we could make the mistake of thinking then man i need to do more i need to pull myself up Instead of doing all these changes by yourself, imagine that Marie Kondo comes to your house and she says, from now on, I will teach you what to wear and what not to wear. I will show you what to keep and what to discard. I will give you the tools so that you can have a total makeover And I think that is the sense of the message today. That this is not so much what we are called to do, it's what Christ has already started within us. And if you're a believer in Christ, then you go back to verse 21 and it says you were created or you were recreated in Christ to live the life of Christ before each other in the world. So I went back to C.S. Lewis's book again. It's a wonderful book. You can never be tired of reading mere Christianity. It has so many wonderful nuggets within it. And here is one where he talks about the idea of being little Christs. Here's what he he wrote. He says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men, or we could say people, into Christ and to make them little Christs. And then he goes on. He says, if they're not doing that, then all the cathedrals and the clergy and the missions and the sermons, even the Bible itself, he says, are simply a waste of time. God, he says, became man for no other purpose. It's even doubtful, you know, 
whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. And again, he says, every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. And yet again, God became man to turn creatures into sons or daughters, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of humanity. Lewis continues, it's not like teaching a horse to jump and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. Of course, once it's got its wings, it will soar over fences, which could never have been jumped and thus beat the natural horse at its own game. I think he says it well, that this is what God what Paul is asking of the Ephesians church is to let the life of Christ be in you so that you put off the old and you put on the new. So if you have your Bibles open again, look at verses 25 through 31 and just look at the concrete way in which he lists what life in the old wardrobe or the old self looks like. And I've tried to summarize that list for you in six sort of disposables, things we really want to get out of his, our lives. Number one, he says, it's time for us to stop lying. And he says why we should stop lying to one another. It's because we're members of the body. We're on the same team. So why would you want to lie to one another? He says, put away, put away what I call sinful anger. And he goes on and he says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. If you're stealing, stop stealing. Instead, work hard. Work hard so that you can provide for others. He says, don't let any, any corrupt words, any cursing come out of your mouth, but only what will build up and edify. And then he says, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Put away bitterness. Now look at that list, and uh, I am guilty of every one of those at different stages in my life. I do not want to live that way. And I think one of the things we must be careful about is that just because you are indeed a devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and you find yourself in a rut with one of those six things, does it mean that you're not a Christian? No, I don't think so. I think if we're honest with ourselves, what we must remember is that we're constantly going back and forth between the old and the new. We're constantly pulling things out of the old wardrobe depending on the situation that we find ourselves in and we just forget who we are in Christ and we just kind of let that person have it. I think what Paul wants us to understand is that transformation, this process of becoming like Christ is really a process and it takes a long time. It takes a long time for those old habits and those old ways of thinking and those old behavioral attitudes to be put to death. It takes a long time to truly change. And so this is nothing that you and I can do by ourselves. It's the power of Christ. It's the work of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit at work within us. Similarly, those who confess faith in Jesus Christ and Savior and Lord, we're not always kind. We're not always tender-hearted. We're not always forgiving. 
The truth is that you and I struggle. I think everyone in this service today, we all struggle in some way with one or all of those six things that are listed in the text. But there is a game-changing practice that saves us from the ditch of thinking that it's up to me, that I have to pull myself up, that I just need to try harder. There is a, there is a game-changing practice, and it's in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and you could summarize it around one word, and it's the word love. And I've been thinking about this a lot. Even when I was in Israel, I was pondering, why love? Why love? Take a look at this verse from 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. In fact, you were singing it earlier. I'm putting on the love of the Lord. That song came from this verse. 1 John 4, 9 says, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God. There it is, guys. This is the game changer. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away sins. And so every time I fall on my face, I say, God, I thank you that it's not that I loved you first, but you loved me first. You sent Jesus to help me to walk in the ways of Christ. And there is hope. Put on love. And then you go to the very end of the book of the Bible and you read the words in, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 where the letters were written to the churches. And do you remember what, what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus? He says, you're doing a lot of things great, but I have this against you. You have lost your first what? What have you lost? You've lost your first love. Paul, when he wrote to the church, said, I want you guys to be imitators of God Put on love. And apparently they didn't get the message because at the very end, Jesus is still standing in the midst of them. And he says, great, great, great. You, you're big. You've got good music. You've got um, all the wonderful things that churches need, well-known, reputation, so on and so forth. And then Jesus says, but I have this against you. Where's the love? Where's the love? So this is really important because the possibility for living the life of Christ, living a life of devotion to God, living a life of dependence on God, it starts here. God loves you. God has made a way through Christ so that we can love God in return. And if you miss that message of love for God and love for others, then you may still be motivated to live these words, but it will not be from the spring and the wellspring of love. It will be from some other desire, the moral influence theory, or some other reason for being a humanitarian, as we hear people talk about, but it won't come from this abiding love. And so it is because of the love of God for us in Christ that we can approach the call then to imitate God. And I think everything that Paul is saying here in this list, it's all about putting off the old self so that we can imitate God in Christ. Listen again, imitate God 
Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us. He offered himself for us as a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma. We heard Pastor Henry mention that aroma. Do you smell like Christ? Do we smell like Christ? And so look at this other list, he says. Here's what I want you to put on. And it's all because of love now. Instead of lying, because of love, we're going to put on the truth. Instead of anger, that sinful trigger, here trigger anger, we just blow up at people, we blow people away, we tell them a piece of our mind. Instead of that kind of anger, put on righteous anger. Get angry, but get angry at the things that really matter. And it's all because of love. Instead of stealing, put on generosity. <laughs> Years ago when I read that verse, it just dawned on me that that text is all about stewardship. That the reason why we work hard and the reason why we don't steal, we work hard so that we will have something, Paul says, to give to those in need. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you don't give to the work of God, Wimber would say, well, you, you may have been converted to Christ, but you haven't been converted to the church and you haven't been converted to the cause. But when you understand the love of God, you work hard so that you can have something to give to those in need. The last thing he says, instead of grieving the Holy Spirit, he wants us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's an interesting way to say that because when you talk about grieving someone, you are acknowledging personality and personhood. I often hear people refer to the Holy Spirit as a force, an it, an inanimate sort of Star Wars force out there. May the force be with you. And Paul says, no, you're talking about the person of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus ascended to the Father, he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit will be with you, will be in you, bringing back to your memory everything that I've taught you, the person of the Holy Spirit. And you think it, maybe it was your mind where God said, go up to that person and say, I'm sorry. And you're saying, no, I'm not, that's weakness. I'm not going to say I'm sorry. And you grieve the Holy Spirit. You make the Holy Spirit sad. Instead of grieving the Holy Spirit, then cooperate, flow, go with where the Spirit is going. And then instead of bitterness and everything that he lists at the end here, before you get into chapter 5, at the end of chapter 4, all that rancor and all that ugliness, I think it comes from a root of bitterness. When we, when we are unable to let go of the past and the hurts and the, the things that have happened to us and we marinate in bitterness, all this ugliness comes out. And instead of that bitterness, Paul says, I want you to put on kindness. Why is love? Why is love so important? for the life of the church, for the cause of Christ? Why is love so important? I listed six reasons why I think love is so important. Number one, I think this is how God is most glorified and this is how God is most treasured when we live a life of love. Number two, to love God and others is the greatest thing we could ever do. That's what Jesus said. 
Number three, love for God and others is the engine that drives the function of the church. It should. Actually, love for God and others is our calling card for evangelism. You know, people aren't impressed with what we know. People aren't impressed with what we look and how orderly the service was. What people are impressed with, what the first century was impressed with, it's when they saw the Christians and how they loved each other. That is our evangelistic calling card. Love for God and others. It's the engine that will drive the way we do church. Number four, it's the most life-sustaining behavior for every single relationship. Think of all the relationships that you and I are involved in. And what gives life to those relationships, it's love. And then the, la the, the second to the last thing is that it's humbling. It's humbling, especially when it's your enemy, where Jesus says, love your enemy. And you can think of all the people who have done things to you. And Jesus says, no, don't shoot back at them. No, don't seek revenge on them. No, 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 no. What I want you to do is turn the other cheek. What I want you to do is go the extra mile. What I want you to do is give them your cloak. What I want you to do is to love your enemy. Wow, there's no out when you begin to treasure love for God and love for others, and it's very humbling. And then the last thing I would say, why love is so important for the life in Christ. It's because love inspires commitment and devotion and sacrifice. Yesterday, I did a wedding down at Fourth Prez, and the couple, it's a long story, got married there, and they wanted the scripture to be read from, from Ruth chapter 1. Don't urge me, this is Ruth speaking to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or from following after you. Where you go, I want to go. Where you stay, I want to stay. Where you die, I want to die. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And the only thing that will separate us, Naomi said, is death. Not sure what that sound is, but I'm hearing the sound. But that's love. Think about that. When you are in love with a person, when you're in love with God, you're willing to be committed, to be devoted, to offer up yourself, to sacrifice because of love. And so what we want to do then is to ask God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is to grant us more love. More love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. Let me close with this story because it's just one of the places on the trip a few weeks ago, a week ago, that really touched my heart deeply. One of the places our group visited on our Holy Land tour was we visited this church that is called the Primacy of St. Peter in an area called Tagba or Tabga by the Sea of Galilee. And you know that place very well, even though you've never been there. It's the place where Jesus fed the 4,000 and the 5,000. But it was also at Tabga, after the breakfast, the third appearance of Jesus, that Jesus asked Peter this question, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? 
Simon said, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus said to him, then if you really love me, then feed my lambs. Jesus looked at him again and said, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I told you I love you. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said it a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And on that third question, as you know the story very well, Peter was hurt. He was hurt. Jesus, you're asking me three times, and I get the feeling it's because you don't believe me. You don't believe me that I love you. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep. And this is, this is where I felt God tapping me on the shoulder and saying, Ray, you will never do good work for my people. You will never, ever serve the church well unless you love me and you love my people. Yes, you were trained in seminary. Yes, you have the degrees. Yes, you know the Greek and the Hebrew words. But I'm asking you, I'm asking you, Ray Hilton, I'm asking you, do you love me? And if you love me, then you take care of my people. Feed care for. And I think you could take this verse and you could, you could stretch it out in so many ways. That God isn't looking for what we do. And sometimes we think, I need to do more for God. When the starting point is God is asking us, I just want you to love me. When you love me, you will climb those mountains. When you love me, you will give your body up to the flames. When you love me, you will make any and every sacrifice and it won't be a chore. And maybe what's missing from our lives these days in our marriages, in our homes, in our relationships, in the church, in the work that we render is that it doesn't start from a place of love. Love impels us to do and to be. I just pray for us this morning. I pray for myself that God would indeed help us to live a life of love. And that is the game changer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say,